Oh, how thankful I am to be in the presence of the Lord with you all today. It's amazing to be in the house of the Lord with this church, and I'm so thankful that I have this opportunity to share God's word with you. You see, I look around in this, in this auditorium, and I see people who have poured into my life so much. I see Mrs. Parker. I was in her grade when I got saved. I see Mr. Donnelly, who used to help me remember verses in Awana. I see each and every one of you, and you have all have prayed so deeply for my heart, and I cannot begin to just thank you. I truly cannot. <clears throat> it's such a blessing to be up here to the people who poured out into my heart. I was with Mrs. Henry. That was how I got introduced to ministry. Everyone I can see, I can see a story of how they impacted my life and how they influenced my life. And it's such a blessing to be here with you all today, this morning. It's such a blessing to be able to share God's word with you. It's such a blessing to be able to just see the power of God's word being played out in your life, in my life, and in your children's life. It's such a blessing. I cannot begin to describe the joy I have to do this, and it's just a blessing. I count it all joy to be with you today. And I say this every time I preach, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you in Philippians 1. Speaking of Philippians 1, turn your Bibles to Philippians 1 with me today. Philippians 1. The book of Philippians is such a beautiful book, and I preached on it last night, except we're going a little backwards. Last Sunday night was Philippians 2. This morning we're going to be going over Philippians 1. The power of Philippians 1 and the introduction of Paul and the message that he has for us and the beautiful picture of how Paul was called to the gospel. He was called to the, the power of the gospel. He was called to proclaim the gospel. And this is what we are called today, that we are called to proclaim the gospel. And as we go through this, you're going to be convicted within your heart, and I promise you that you are not alone. I stand behind this pulpit with my legs shaking, stand behind this pulpit with my hands shaking, because I am so convicted by this word. I am so convicted in understanding the gospel. I am so convicted in preaching this, because this gospel is so important. That it's not just for salvation. It is to preach. It is for our duty to proclaim the gospel before all. This gospel is important. We forget about it after we have been saved. But the same tool that built the house is the same tool that fixes the house. We must go back to the same tool of the gospel. That we must put our hands, get our hands dirty. We must get our hands dirty within the gospel. That we must preach it. We must defend it. We must rejoice in it. And Paul proclaims in Philippians 1, in his imprisonment, about the gospel. That no matter what happened, the furtherance of the gospel was first and foremost. And we see Paul speaking on the gospel and his heart for the gospel. I've been reading a book called Thoughts for Young Men by J.C. Ryle. And within the book, Ryle quotes a story that Matthew Henry uses. A man named Francis Walsingham. He was the Secretary of the State for Queen Elizabeth I and is known as a great statesman. This man eventually retired from the public life and put his entire life to being in serious thought. He dedicated his entire life to serious thought. And all his old friends would come up to him and say, Dude, why are you acting so depressed? The word they used back in the day was melancholy. Why are you acting so melancholy? Why are you being like this? All you do is sit all day and think. All you do is sit all day and pray. What, what happened to the old you? And the way Francis Walsingham, the Secretary of State, responded is something that we should all understand. Francis Walsingham said, I am serious, for all are serious around about me. God is serious in observing us. Christ is serious in interceding for us. The Spirit is serious in striving with us. The truths of God are serious. Our spiritual enemies are serious in their endeavors to ruin us. Poor lost sinners are serious in hell. And why then? Should not you and I be serious too? My title for my message today is, It's Time to Get Serious About the Gospel. 
It's going to be a hard conversation to have because it's going to pierce the hearts. It's going to pierce our own actions. And it's going to attack every part of your life. And it's attacking every part of my life. It's time to get serious about the gospel. This message came to me in a time where I was in pain, where I was struggling. I was just downtrodden. My friend had recently died from a drunk driver. And the Lord began working in my heart, reminding me of the preciousness of life. He began showing me that life is truly a vapor. I began truly realizing that my life is meant for the gospel and nothing else. I must take action for the gospel. And Paul within Philippians 1 is preaching the similar situation in which he was struggling. He was in prison and life was just not going great for him. But he always kept a smile upon his face. He was always living in joy. He understood that his life and all that happened to him was for the furtherance of the gospel. He's in a similar situation in which he was struggling. His life could have been taken any minute, but the gospel was first and foremost. It was first and foremost. Paul admits his pain of being jailed, for the gospel was still serious about the gospel. He was still so heavy about the beauty of the gospel. It did not simply become a duty for Paul's life, it became his life. He did not waver back and forth, thinking about how good life was before he came for the gospel, before he lived for the gospel. He went to the gospel and he stayed committed to the gospel. He stood up for the gospel amidst all the pain, amidst all the pain that he was in, amidst the beatings that he took. He stood up for the gospel. And it's time for us, church, to start standing up for the gospel. It's time for us to truly start living for the gospel. Paul, amidst his pain of being jailed for the gospel, was serious. What we can see from these verses is that God wants you to get serious about the gospel. God wants you to get serious about the gospel. Now, how are we to get serious about the gospel? That's a question that must be presented as we present that God wants you to get serious about the gospel. How are we to get serious about the gospel? God presents us in Philippians 1 that we are to preach the gospel, we are to defend the gospel, and we are to rejoice in the gospel. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians 1. Let's read through it today. Let's read through it. In verses 12 through 19. <clears throat> but I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren of the Lord, who are actually confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some have decreased Christ, even of contention, envy, and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ's contention, not sincerely supposing to have affliction in my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I have set the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every letter, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I dare to rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. And the disciples supply his fear of Jesus Christ. And then may the Lord bless the reading of his word. The beauty of this and beauty of our duty in our life for the gospel. Lord, I thank you, God, and I worship you, Lord. And I praise you, Lord, and I come to you with humility within my heart, Lord, and I come to you with weakness, Lord, knowing that I am nothing and you are everything, Lord. For me to live is Christ, Lord, and to die is gain. Lord, that I want to live for you, God. Lord, that we would, we would live for the gospel, Lord, and this good news of your word, Lord, and your message that you have proclaimed through your own life. 
Lord, I just ask that your strength would be so prevalent within my life, Lord, and within this message, Lord. I preach this with conviction. I preach this with a heavy heart, Lord, towards these people. I pray that you would anoint my lips, Lord, season it with your word, Lord. Just preserve it with your word, Lord. Lord, that my words will be forgotten, but your words will be remembered forever. Lord, I am weak and you are strong. Lord, help me to cling to your strength. Lord, help me to preach this word in a loving manner, Lord, that I love this church, Lord, and I love the people within it. Lord, but I would proclaim the gospel before all else. Lord, humble my heart, convict my heart, direct my heart, Lord. Anoint my lips to speak, anoint their ears to hear, anoint all of our hearts to receive. And I give this before you, in Jesus' name, amen. Paul did not acknowledge, excuse me, we can see first, the first thing we must do to get serious about the gospel is to preach the gospel. We must preach the gospel. The gospel is meant to be preached is meant to be preached. And within Philippians 1, we must see that no matter the circumstance, we must preach the gospel. No matter the pain within our life, we must preach the gospel. I will not come before you and say that once you start preaching the gospel, life will become easy. It will be sunshine and roses. In reality, it will be the complete opposite. Persecution will be brought. There will be pain involved. There will be sorrow. There will be people dying within your life. There will be people getting sick within your life, and you still must preach the gospel. Is the comfort within our life. It's so easy to get sidetracked with our daily lives that we forget what our lives are even made for. We forget how we even got life. For before you accepted the gospel, you were dead in your trespasses. You were a sinner. You were a dead man walking. But the gospel has made you alive. It has quickened you. It has given you liberty. Galatians 5 speaks of this liberty. Now stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. You have been given life. You have been given freedom within your heart. You have been given freedom to live. Now live for the gospel. God forbid that I continue on in sin, but that I would live for Christ. And as Christ proclaims this, and he gives us this beauty of life, how are you to live? You are to stand up for the gospel. You are to preach the gospel. You know, Mr. Henry in the, mess, in the songs, <laughs> in one of the songs, he said, you may be seated, but the first line of the song was, I stand amazed. And I stood up in the whole church still listen, Mr. Henry. But I stood up, and then my parents looked at me, and they're like, sit down, sit down. Now, it was pretty funny. I was a little embarrassed, but nerves were running high. Oh, but we are to stand for the gospel, even when the entire church But you are to stand up for the gospel. That no matter what happens, you are to stand for the gospel. No matter the circumstance, no matter what happens when the world tells you, sit down. Why don't you just do something else instead of serving God? Maybe there will be a priority within that. Maybe there will be a blessing within not serving God. That is a bald-faced lie. There's nothing good in serving the world over Christ. There's nothing good is just pain and sorrow. It is heartbreak. It is heartbreak. For us to understand our duty to preach the gospel, we must fully understand what the gospel is. I'm running around like a madman preaching about how awesome the gospel is, but there might be someone here who does not understand what the gospel is, and that's okay because I'm about to explain it to you. What is the gospel? What is this good news that we hear the born-again Christian preach on? What is this beautiful thing that they're just yelling about? And I tell you one thing, I love it. The gospel is such a beautiful thing that we must all understand. We must be acquainted with even those who are saved, but the unbeliever. I'm speaking to you right now. I'm speaking to each and every one in this church. There might be someone here who does not understand the gospel. Let me preach it unto you. The gospel means good news, but for us to understand the good news, we must first understand the bad news. We must understand that there is a bad news associated with the gospel. For there to be good, there must be bad. Because Christ has fought against this idea of good and bad. That there was, there was this bad in our life. 
And then Christ fought against that, and he has taken that away. How did he do that? The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All means all. All does not mean just some. It means every single person. It means every person within this, this auditorium. It means me. It means every person that's not in this auditorium. It means every person in our workplace. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So every single person has sinned. Now what is the glory of God? The glory of God is the standard of God. See, we cannot meet the standard of God. You see, I often try to think so I can understand deeper. And I use this example of my mother. That's, that's a bad start already, but... <laughs> but I remember when me and my mother and our entire family have someone coming over and we try to really clean the house there's this one table that my mother always tasks me with cleaning and my mother has a standard of how that table must be at the end because it's not perfect before my mother at the end says it must be perfect or else now my mother I will, I will go I will go to town on this table and I will clean it as much as I can my mother will come over and say now, did you even do anything? And I'll be like, I did all I could. I did everything I could. What are you talking about? I didn't do anything to it. And my mother like, let me do, let me take care of it. So my mother will clean it for like about a minute, and then it will be shiny. And it's a beautiful example of how the gospel is that God has a standard that no matter what you do, you can never meet it. You can never meet it. It will never be perfect. You will never be perfect because you are a sinful being. We're the ones that got ourselves into this mess. So Christ himself had to come down. God himself had to come down from heaven to earth to fulfill the standard of a perfect life. God's standard is perfection because he is a holy God. He is a very holy God. He is a perfect God. He is a just God. He is a very just God that Christ is the only one who can meet a standard. So he came down and he took care of it. In Romans 6.22 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin... So since we are sinners, our wage, what we have earned is death. We have earned death and separation from God. God cannot be with a sinful being because he is a holy God. I use this example often. These four fingers are going to be you and me, all right? This thumb is going to be God. This hand right here will be sin. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin separates us from God. And because of that sin, we cannot have a relationship with God. Because we deserve that punishment and Christ deserves all the glory and honor. Now, what did Christ do to take that sin away? What he did was he took on the punishment for you and me. Romans 5, 8, for God commendeth his love toward us. And now while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a beautiful explanation of the gospel that Christ took on the punishment for you. He took on the pain. He took on every single ounce of pain that you and I deserve. He took on it because his love for you and me. He took this on because he has its deep love for me. He has a love for David Arthur. He has a love for Dr. Nightingale. He has a love for Sarah Kettlewood. He has a love for Mrs. Kettlewood. He has a love for that. He has died for each and every one of you. The gospel is for all. For all have sinned, but Christ also has died for all that have sinned. Every single person. This perfect love is pushing out to you right now. He is commending it to you. He's commending his love towards you. And this is the message of love that Christ has that we must so preach that all we have to do to accept this perfect gift of God for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All that we have to do to accept this eternal life is put our faith in what he has done. Is put our faith in this perfect gift that he has for you, this free gift of salvation that he is presenting to you today. He is presenting this gift to you today. 
The gospel is good. If there's anything that you can remember today, let it be the gospel. Let it be this perfect free gift of salvation that he is presenting to you today. He's shoving this in front of you right now, and it's for the taking. There might be someone here today who does not understand what the gospel is, and now they may understand. And you might be so convicted in your heart right now, saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I am just lost in my sin. And Christ is putting out his hand forth to you today. He is giving this hand towards you today. That he's saying, take on that hand. Carry my, I will carry your load. I have taken your burden. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Paul immediately in verses 15 through 17 starts telling the Philippians about the motives of those who preach the gospel. Let's actually read those verses just again, just so we can really understand where we are right now. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Some preach of envy and strife, and some of goodwill, some of contention. Not everyone who preaches the gospel has good motives. Not everyone does. Some preach it out of this self-advancement. Some preach it out of their own self-advancement. That they preach the gospel so that their name may be known. That I preach the gospel so that David Arthur might be known. It's not true at all. I preach the gospel so that Christ's name may be known. Forget me, remember Christ what he has done for each and every one of you today. But in this time in the Philippians church, that they were rejoicing in the imprisonment that Paul had. They're rejoicing in their brother being downtrodden by the world. They were rejoicing within this. But the gospel was being preached. Paul was still happy that the gospel was being preached. But he's calling out these people who have bad motives at the same time. There are many who preach a gospel with a heart that is not centered for the gospel. The gospel must be preached, but it must be preached with a heart that is not centered in self-advancement. You must check your service towards God. What is it for? Is it so that your name can be remembered? People were preaching the gospel so that their name would be remembered, not the name of Christ. It became this competition in their minds that they wanted Paul's name to be forgotten, but theirs remembered. It became this competition. Imagine this. Now, Pastor Payne's the pastor of his church, and he preaches the gospel, but I get up here, and I'm trying to compete, saying, I'm the better preacher. I'm the better preacher. That it became this in the idea of Philippians 1, that people were competing against Paul. There's nothing to compete against, but there's a battle to be fought. There's a battle to be fought that we must come together, we must band together as brothers and sisters of Christ and fight against this battle. Their motives were self-advancement and nothing good, but Paul did acknowledge that there were some who preached of goodwill. There are some men who preached the gospel of goodwill. Some who preached in true Christian spirit. Some who bear the burdens of one another, as Galatians 6 says. There's some who understood Paul's imprisonment and said, I will still support you by preaching the gospel. Because that's what we're here for. That's what we're truly here for. If you want to support your brothers and sisters in Christ, preach the gospel next to them. When they're not next to you, preach the gospel for them. I remember when I used to work at Texas Roadhouse. People don't want to work. And I remember it would be a busy night, and sometimes you'd be the only one carrying trays of food, so that, and then it would just get busy and backed up. People, people would see you getting a little frustrated, and they'd be like, how can I help you? Carry some trays. Do some of the work with me now. So Paul was in his imprisonment, and he was downtrodden, and all he asked for was that you would preach the gospel with him, that you would pray for him. 
We are called to preach the gospel. But we are not simply called to preach the gospel. We are called to preach the gospel in love. Paul presents how we are supposed to preach the gospel with love. So many times within our own churches, we forget the key ingredient to the gospel. We forget the key ingredient, which is love. We forget this important ingredient to the gospel, which is love. The gospel is sprinkled with love. All of scripture is presented with love. It is presented, is stained with the blood of Christ, which is the ultimate example of love. That a friend who would give his life for you, that is an, the ultimate test of love. Paul, with the language he is using in chapter 1, said that the others with wrong intentions were not preaching in love. So he's, he's creating this contrast that some preach of contention, some preach of envy and strife. They are not preaching of love, but I preach in love, is what Paul is saying. So we must preach in love. We must check our own hearts. Examine your hearts. Examine your hearts to see, am I truly living a life for Christ that is presented in love? Am I truly living a life for Christ that is sprinkled with love? Is my every action that I can preach with in love? What is my life looking like? That's what Paul's truly saying to us. That's what the Holy Spirit put upon his life. Preach the gospel in love. We must come together in unity with this one goal of preaching the gospel, with Christ being the first and foremost in our lives. We must truly live out Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Are you ashamed of the gospel, the same gospel that has saved you, the same gospel which I'm screaming about right now? Are you ashamed of that? Amidst the threats of jail or death such as Paul is in, we must preach the gospel. We must preach it faithfully. That no matter the circumstance, no matter that your job is lost, no matter that you have no money, Christ will provide if you preach the gospel. If you stand up for the gospel, Christ will provide for you. We must preach the gospel to our families. The gospel is the answer to all the problems within life. To the broken family, to the broken marriages, to the children that are behaving wrongly, to all that is going wrong within your life, preach the gospel to it. Live for the gospel. Christ will take care of it. Preach the gospel to your family. Men, stand up for the gospel. We have men who will not stand up, who will behave like the men that they are not. The 1 Corinthians 16 says, be men. Quit ye like men. Be strong in the faith. We have men who will not act like men, the men of the Bible. We have men who will act like women. We don't have men who will stand up for the gospel, who will stand up for the faith. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is calling us to lead our families with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's time to stand up. Men take this back seat to the gospel. Stand up. Men will faithfully preach the gospel out of love for the people around them. The world is full of sinners in need of Christ. But will you fill the world with the gospel of Christ? Not only are we to preach the gospel, we are also defend the gospel. We are also to defend the gospel. As we preach the gospel, there will be attacks made against this perfect message of love. And it will attack you and the gospel. The book of Philippians is centered around joy, and Paul did find joy in his duty of preaching, defending, and rejoicing the gospel. But there is only one mention of sorrow within Philippians. There's only one mention of sorrow within Philippians. In Philippians 3.18, Paul shows his love for the people in the gospel. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. They are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And Paul presents us with weeping. So we see this pattern of love within Philippians, that Paul, he's calling this church that is acting correctly within the gospel, but he is calling them 
to continue acting in love. That whether you're preaching the gospel, whether you're defending the gospel, you are to do it in love. When you're preaching the gospel, you're preaching to unbelievers that are struggling within their sin and they are lost within their sin. But now when you're defending the gospel, you're defending the people that you love so dearly. The brothers and sisters that Christ has presented towards you. Paul speaks of these people who have an evil agenda towards the gospel with a term that is so aggressive. The enemies of the cross of Christ. That's a scary thing to be. I would not want to be that. The enemies of Christ. Do you know how powerful God is? I do not want to be an enemy of the cross of Christ. With such an aggressive term, we must have an aggressive approach. We must have an aggressive approach that the minute false doctrine creeps into our church, whenever the, the minute false doctrine creeps into your families, you must kill it. You have to kill it. You have to test it upon the word of God. You must test it, tried like the Bereans, that if you can't find it within the word of God, don't believe it. Don't believe it. It's a very simple thing. We try to make the Christian life so complicated. But it's very simple. If it's not in the Bible, it's not in my heart. You must defend the gospel with the word of God. You must attack the gospel with the word of God. Excuse me, attack the world with the gospel. Excuse me. As we come back to chapter 1 and Paul saying the defense of the gospel, we must realize that the gospel is attacked in every way imaginable. The heart of the gospel, immediately after the resurrection, people were denying the resurrection. They're denying the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 is in, is in direct, like he's addressing the people that were attacking the resurrection. Saying that there are so many people who witnessed the resurrection. There were witnesses to this miracle that Christ did, that he conquered death. The gospel would be attacked by even people who believe it. The devil knows that Jesus Christ is God. Will he not attack it? Will he not attack that one thing? That people will try to creep in your life saying Jesus Christ is not God. People will attack it. You have to be firm in your faith. You have to be firm upon the word of God. Everything about the gospel is attacked. The message of the gospel is an offensive message. Is an offensive message. It hurts the heart. It does is an offensive message that as we preach it, people will hate you for it. It will convict your own heart. See, the beauty of the name of Christ, it has the ability to comfort the brokenhearted, but it also has the ability to convict this broken sinner. In a world where men have no backbone and your family will be attacked, will you, be, will you continue to stand up for the gospel? We must continue to stand up for the gospel no matter the opposition. Just as Paul was set up for the de- defense of the gospel, so are we. We are called to defend the gospel. In the face of persecution, you must stand up for the gospel. We see in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they were told to bow down to this statue of nothing, just a, a brick of gold, really. That was nothing. They were told to bow down to it or you're going to get put into a furnace of fire. And they were basically told they were going to die. But they stood up and said, no, I'm not going to bow down before a false idol. I'm not going to bow down before something that is not real. I'm not going to bow down before something that is not the Lord Jesus Christ. I will stand up for the gospel, is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. And let me tell you something, the world, they came true with their promise. They threw him into the furnace of fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in that fire, and they say, I will still live for God no matter what. No matter the pain in my life, I will still live for God. And you know what God did? He was with them right then and there. As the gospel was being preached throughout their actions, as they were standing up for the gospel, as they were defending the gospel, they stood up for it, and they were thrown into that furnace of fire. And it said that the, the guard was saying, 
to the point. Because Christ was with him. And as you preach the gospel, as you defend the gospel, and as you are persecuted for the gospel, Christ is not going to leave you nor forsake you. He will be there right with you. He is right there next to you as you are getting persecuted. As you are being thrown into your furnace of fire, Christ is there with you. Christ is there with you. you. must continue to stand up for the gospel. It's in direct opposition to the world's standards. Many believe in the gospel, but few will truly live out the gospel. We must defend our families from this. We see that the, that the world is attacking the family unit also. The homosexual agenda. We must protect our families from that and preach the gospel to our children. Within everything that we see, the, the, the world is attacking our families. and We must defend it with the gospel. You must defend the gospel with the gospel. You will be hated for this, and the world will hate you for this. But John 15 gives us this great promise. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And Jesus continued on with this chapter, saying that he has given you the comforter to be able to withstand this. He has given you the Holy Spirit. If you have accepted the word of God and accepted the message of Christ and his sacrifice, the Holy Spirit is residing within you. He's residing within you to comfort you as you go on in life. You will be persecuted for defending the gospel, but you must continue to stand up for the gospel. Will you do such? Yes, seeing that we must get serious about the gospel by preaching and defending it, but we must also rejoice in the gospel. You must rejoice in the gospel. This is a fun one. We must rejoice in the gospel. You can shout amen if you want. We can rejoice in the gospel. The verses we have read so far have shown what has been happening during Paul's imprisonment. And Paul saw the gospel being preached, whether in good or bad motives. And Paul was able to defend the gospel even during his imprisonment. Even though Paul was in imprisonment, in, in prison, excuse me, the gospel was being advanced in a way like never before. And Paul rejoiced in that. I rejoice in Christ. It was being advanced in a way like never before. And in reality, the pain and imprisonment that Paul went through, he says in verse 12, has fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. You see, this brings into perspective, that everything that happens to your life, if you are living for God, is for the furtherance of the gospel. That the pain that you go through, I can rejoice in that because the gospel is being advanced. That no matter what's happening, I can be thankful to God that the gospel is being furthered. There's a joy about that. There's a rejoicing within that. What do you truly rejoice in? The question must be asked, where do you find your joy? Do you find it within something that is eternal as the gospel in Christ? Or do you find it within something that will wither away? Do you find it within the word of God? The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Is that what your joy is in? Paul rejoiced amidst his chains because the gospel was being spread. Though Paul was in chains, in reality, he had never felt more free. He had never felt freer. And Acts 5 speaks of a similar story where the apostles were imprisoned for preaching the gospel. They were imprisoned for their faithful service towards God. Acts 5, verses 41 through 42 says, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to preach, teach and preach Jesus Christ. Within the life of the Christian, we will be persecuted, as mentioned when we were discussing the defense of the gospel. But Christ gives us his promise within Scripture. These things I have spoken in you, that in ye might have peace, but in the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Christ has overcome the world, and he has overcome all for us to have a relationship with him. He has taken care of everything. Be of good cheer, Christian. 
for he has overcome the world. Rejoice in the gospel. We have seen that God wants you to get serious about the gospel. And to get serious about the gospel, we must preach the gospel, defend it, and rejoice in the message of Christ. The book of Philippians is a book rooted in joy. But we see Paul is in prison and beaten and torn apart more than ever. The book of Philippians is a book rooted in joy, but we hear the mention of persecution greatly. Our joy is rooted in what we are persecuted for. No matter what, the world is going to persecute you. But if you are persecuted for the cause of Christ, there will be joy within your life. Our life is meant for Christ, and we must get serious about the gospel. And I call this church today, get serious about the gospel. Preach the gospel, defend the gospel, rejoice in the gospel. What will you do today? Mr. Henry.